You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Good morning. A few months ago, I noticed the new technology started sweeping the news. I'm not an expert on this like some of you are, but I think this is going to be a big turning point in the tech world. Uh, Particularly, it reminds me of like Facebook or the internet or the iPhone. It is a tool called ChatGPT. (laughs) And for those of us that don't know what that is, it's an AI-powered chatbot. And essentially, ChatGPT responds to texts and questions in almost perfect human-like responses. Now, I've been using this a lot. I don't know about you. I don't have a subscription yet. Uh, that's coming down the line. But one of the things that I've done, and I guess this is pretty, pretty nerdy, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sh- uh, tell you a little bit about me, is I've been asking ChatGPT to transform and to create new quotes for me. Now, what do you mean by quotes? Uh, what do you mean by quotes? Well, I don't mean car quotes. I don't mean financial quotes. I mean like written quotes, sayings. Uh, I'm a bit of a quotes guy. And so I've been looking at famous quotes or sappy quotes or sentimental quotes, popular quotes, and then I've been asking ChatGPT to take these quotes and then to transform them into biblically accurate, Christ-centered, Christian redemptive quotes. So I basically typed the quote in and I've trained this robot, the ChatGPT, to spit back out the quote uh, that's been transformed. And I thought this morning I would share some of those quotes with you all. Though no one has asked, I have a few (laughs) up here on the screen. Uh, Some of these quotes, not so great. I'm not commending or recommending um, all of these, maybe one or two of them. Uh, First, a, a quote by Thomas Paine, who said, My country is the world and my religion is to do good. The new quote transformed by ChatGPT, my citizenship is in heaven and my ultimate allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty good. Pretty good. This thing is, you'll, you'll find it's pretty accurate. The whole sermon I wrote actually by Chat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, the, uh, the original quote uh, by Thomas Huxley, uh, of moral purpose I see no trace in nature. That is an article of exclusively human manufacturer manufacture and very much to our credit. ChatGPT saving the day, the new quote transformed, of moral purpose I see no trace in nature for it is only in Christ that we find the true standard of righteousness and morality as he reveals to us the character and will of God. Sounds like a Calvinist a bit there. The original quote uh, by a megachurch pastor in Houston who shall not be named, (laughs) see yourself in a prosperous condition. Affirm that you will before long be in a prosperous condition. Of course, the new quote by ChatGPT, See yourself as a co-heir with Christ in the midst of both abundance and affliction, affirming that you will soon behold the fullness of his glory. Spot on. (laughs) Next, I love this one, the original quote by Will Ferrell. Before you marry a person, you should first make them use a computer with slow internet to see who they really are. (laughs) The new quote transformed, 
Before you enter a lifelong partnership, seek God's guidance and wisdom to discern the true character of your potential spouse and let his grace guide you in the journey of building a Christ-centered marriage. Amen, but I, I actually like Will Ferrell's better. Um, uh, and last, a much-needed transformation by Alan Kay, who's a programmer. Makes sense. The best way to predict the future is to invent it. And of course, the new transform quote. The best way to navigate the future is to trust the one who holds the future and to follow his leading day by day. Amen. <laughs> so what Chad GP did for me is it took these quotes, some of them not so great, some of them decent, some of them okay, and it transformed them with God's glory, with the gospel, with the truth, and it made them pop. Now, I mention all of this today because we're talking about one of the most famous transformation passages in the Bible. It's the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. That word transfiguration comes from the Greek word metamorphu. Trans or meta, same thing. And morphu or figuration, the same thing. It means to change in appearance. And this is exactly what we'll see in this passage this morning. That before the events of what we call Palm Sunday, and before the events of what we call Good Friday and Easter, before the resurrection, there was a unique moment when the glory of Jesus Christ shone through, shined in a way that was so powerful. In a brief moment, up on a mountain, Peter, James, and John saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. They saw him transformed. He was revealed to them for who he really is. They saw his glory, his power, his significance. And that's really the main idea of this passage this morning. The transfiguration, it's really the main idea of this sermon. And that'll be up on the screen, and it's this. Be transformed by Jesus' glory. Be transformed by the glory of Jesus Christ. That is, be transformed this morning by his identity, by his power by his mission, by his purpose, by who he really is. Let that transform your heart like it did Peter, James, and John. Now, my outline is going to be up on the screen, and it'll flow from the text itself this morning. Number one, what is this all about? What is this all about? In the Eastern Church, the Transfiguration is actually celebrated as a holy day. But here in the Western Church, this event never became celebrated like, say, Easter or Christmas. The incarnation, we made Christmas. The resurrection, we made Easter, but no transfiguration. But it's still very, very important. So number one, what is, it, what is it all about? And number two, what does it mean? We'll look from Matthew chapter 17, 1 through 9. Now, you remember last week, uh, as way of a little recap, we were up close and personal with Jesus, who was just starting his ministry. And he's leading a campaign, so to speak. He was baptized in the Jordan River, and then after that, immediately he was led out to the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. He wins out against these temptations, and then he starts to preach and teach all around the region of Galilee and the province of Judea. And he's saying the kingdom of God is here. The king has arrived. God's kingdom is here. And a bit of a grassroots movement, we might say, starts to grow. He starts finding the right people. He starts recruiting the, the people who would find his message and him compelling. And from there, he goes all around that province of Judea, and he's teaching, he's preaching, 
and he's got quite the reputation. He's not a doctor, but he's also healing people miraculously. He's doing wild stuff. He's confronting the darkness. He's slicing against the status quo, we might say. But eventually, as we read the gospel accounts, things start to heat up. In one moment, things get really, really dicey when he himself says that he himself forgives sins. The most devout hear that. The most educated hear that, and they say that is blasphemy. You're claiming to be God. Only God can forgive sins. Things don't stop there. Things, as eventually time goes on, he really starts challenging the norms and the interpretation of the Old Testament at that time, which was a very strict understanding, a wrong take on the Old Testament, which overemphasized the holiness of God, the strictness of God, overemphasized obedience over compassion and mercy and love. And so things start to get really, really, really dicey for Jesus. He starts getting more pushback. And then another shift, as we read the gospel accounts, another shift happens. He starts telling people to, when he heals them, don't talk about it. When he does a miracle, he says, don't talk about it. Don't say anything. He doesn't want to be known as a, a miracle worker. He doesn't want that to be the focus. And all of a sudden, another shift happens. When he starts teaching, he starts teaching in parables. He's not wanting the more shocking things he's saying to go viral. He's talking in somewhat of code now. The point is, is that Jesus is not about a spectacle. He's not about gathering a following based on miracles or just having people like him because he's bold. But rather, Jesus wants people who want him for him. And when we want him for him, it becomes a, about a deeper transformation of our hearts and our minds. We pick up days, if not weeks, before the events of what we call Palm Sunday and eventually Good Friday and Easter. Jesus is with his inner circle. It's Peter, James, and John. And he's just told them, about what he needs to do, die and come back to life. And this makes no sense to them at all. And so this really leads us to our first point this morning. What is the transfiguration all about? Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Traditionally, this is Mount Tabor in modern-day Israel. There's some other thoughts about perhaps where this could be, maybe Mount Hermon, but the exact location isn't super important. What's important here is the symbolism of the mountain. Of course, it is a mountain, but mountains are the places in the Bible where a person meets God, verse 2. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Think of the movie The Lion King, where the the monkey holds up the baby Simba and the, the clouds open up and light comes down. Or think of perhaps the movie The Lord of the Rings, my, my favorite movie when in the second movie Gandalf comes down the hill to rescue the day and he's clothed in light with his, his staff and his clothes. Jesus here is radiating with light from within. Uh, the description here is that he's beaming with light. He's, he's flooded with glory, verse 3. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. These are big names. They appear, meaning it's probably like a vision. Moses represents, of course, the law, and Elijah, the prophets, the Old Testament, God's covenant. 
They represent God's history with his people, uh, his way of life with his people. Verse 4, And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. So Peter's like, it's good that we're here. This is really special. But then perhaps he gets a little bit overwhelmed. He's not had a lot of time to process. And if you're familiar with the Bible, this is Peter. He's pretty impulsive. He's just kind of listening to the conversation. And he probably thinks, I can't just just stand here looking like an idiot. This is a special moment. I want to be a part of it. And so he's like, okay, I've got to say something. And so he kind of butts into the conversation. And he says, I can make some tents for you all to stay in. There's a lot of ideas, perhaps, why he said that. But the point is, is he's missing the point. The passage goes on, and Peter keeps talking, but then verse 5, God, with the the full court press, with the rebound, the steal, the slam dunk, verse 5, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God shows up, and he speaks from this cloud. He says about Jesus, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. God is saying in the most explicit way possible. Lots of people have opinions about Jesus Christ, but as the only opinion that really matters, this is the perfect Son of God. In Him is my voice. Verse 6, When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. They're terrified, but Jesus comes over, maybe puts his hand on their shoulders, and he says, hey, get up. It's going to be okay. It's all good. Don't be afraid. Verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Now, this is an amazing scene. It's the glory of Jesus Christ revealed. The voice of God the Father booms from this this cloud. But what does all of this mean? What does it mean for us this morning? Well, point two, what does it mean? Three things, I think, as I thought about this passage, three things I think the transfiguration shows us this morning, and they all have to do with the identity of Jesus. They all center around who he is, which I think is the most important question in the world. How we answer that question, where we land on that question, is the most important thing about us. Now those things I see, the three things I see that perhaps we can can learn from this passage are, number one, the transfiguration reveals Jesus as the object of our worship. It reveals him as the object of our worship. Number two, it reveals him, Jesus, as the bridge to God. The transfiguration reveals him as the bridge to God. And number three, the transfiguration reveals Jesus as the truth of life. It reveals him as the truth of life. So first, let's look at how the transfiguration reveals him as the object of our worship. Notice in verses 4 and 5, when Peter is talking, this cloud comes out of nowhere. This voice speaks out of the cloud at the top of the mountain. Now, not only would have that been terrifying, it it was, they, they fell over, But this also would have reminded them of something very clearly from perhaps their childhood or their adult life. It would have reminded them of one thing. The mountain of God 
in the book of Exodus. They would have heard about it. They would have read about it, where thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, God spoke from a cloud on a mountain with a booming voice to Moses. If you remember that book, or perhaps you were here with us during our Exodus series, God frees his people from Pharaoh, and he leads them through the desert. He leads them in the form of a cloud. Uh, during the day, it's a, a pillar uh, uh, w- that would shine, and uh, at night, it's a, it's a fiery cloud of glory that would lead them in the dark. And as the book of Exodus continues, God eventually leads his people to Mount Sinai. Some of you remember this from perhaps Sunday school. And at Mount Sinai, what happens is God comes down in power and glory and all of his strength as a cloud on top of this mountain. There's smoke, and there's lightning, and there's light, and it's, 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 a, it's quite a sight. Eventually, we read in the book of Exodus that Moses scales the mountain. He goes up top on the mountain, and what we have is we have a voice that comes out of the cloud. God talks, Moses talks, we have bright lights, we have lightning that comes out of the cloud. But famously, some of you remember this, famously on the mountain there's this really special scene. Moses says to God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. He wants to experience God for all that he is. His beauty, his power, his strength, his majesty, his holiness. Moses says, show me your glory. And God famously responds, he says, no. (laughs) He says, no one can see my glory and live. But he says he makes a bit of concession. He says, you know what, Moses? I'll show you a little bit of me. He says in a metaphor, I'll show you my back, but I'm not going to show you my face. The idea there is he's going to show Moses a little bit of who he is, but not all of him. And the result is that Moses, as you remember in the book of Exodus, he sees just a tiny smidgen of God, and his face lights up. And the text says that his face is radiant, so much so that he has to wear a veil over his face as he goes down the mountain. He becomes, perhaps we might say, like a moon, reflecting the light of the glory of God, reflecting God's glory. Now, thousands of years later, we're here this morning at another mountain. It's the Mount of Transfiguration, and all of the same stuff is here. There's a mountain, there's a cloud, God comes down, he speaks out of the cloud, there's glory. We even have, a, we even have Moses back. We even have a vision of Moses back, but notice there's a massive difference here at the Mount of Transfiguration, and it's really, really important, and it's this. At the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus isn't reflecting any glory. He's not like the moon reflecting the sun. In fact, there's no light or lightning even coming out of the cloud anymore. It's missing. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ himself is the light. He is emanating the light of God. Where Moses was like the moon reflecting the light and the glory of God, Jesus is like the sun. He's the source. From within himself, he's shining the very glory and brilliance of God. What that means for us this morning is that Jesus isn't just somebody who points us to the glory of God, say like Elijah or Moses or the founders the claim of every other religion, prophets or sages. What what this means is that Jesus himself is the very glory of God. The book of Hebrews puts it this way. 
The sun is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of his being. Meaning to see Jesus, to know Jesus, is to know the ultimate expression, the unsurpassable, infinite, overwhelming beauty and glory of God. He is the glory of God in human form. He is God in the flesh. He's God showing us who he is. Which means this morning, perhaps you're here and you're not sure about who God is. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're not sure if God can be known. You're not sure if God is good. You're not sure if he loves you, if he's been there for you. And I want to remind you and boldly tell you this morning, he has been there for you. He does love you. He is good. Look to Jesus Christ. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a moral example. That's not even an option that he's left open for us to consider. He is God of God, light of light. He is the object of our worship, the God of peace. Related to this, there's another thing we learn, I think, here about Jesus from the transfiguration, and that's that he is the bridge to God. The transfiguration reveals that Jesus is the bridge to God. Now, just like in the last point, there's something else very different about what happens at the Mount of Transfiguration and what happens at the Mount of Sinai in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when Moses goes up to Sinai, he sees the cloud, as I mentioned, and he hears the voice of God from this cloud. And he says, show me your glory. And God says, no one can see my glory and live. What God is essentially saying there is that there is an infinite gap between humanity and deity. God is essentially saying, you cannot take my reality. You cannot take my holiness. You cannot take my glory. It will destroy you. It will overwhelm you. God's saying to Moses, if I envelop you, if I rest on you, you are dead. It will be fatal. And so what we see the Hebrews do in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Exodus, is they build a tabernacle. And essentially, a tabernacle was like a special tent. It was a way that they could approach God to get through the barrier. It mediated his presence, we might say. As a sinful people, they would offer sacrifices and then approach God. And eventually, the tabernacle, as we know, becomes the temple. It was all a way to try to bridge the gap between humanity and God. Now, pretty much every religion has this idea. The idea is that there's a barrier between us and God, but through a priest or through a temple or through a special place, through a sacrifice, you can have your sins forgiven and you can go and be in the presence of God. It will be a bridge. This, this place, this temple, this sacred spot, this special priest will be like a, a bridge that connects you to the divine. But I want to point out that something very amazing happens at the Mount of Transfiguration. Notice that the cloud, the glory cloud of God, the presence of God in his full splendor and majesty, it descends on Peter, James, and John. Luke's gospel literally says the cloud envelops them. It, it, it says they were inside the cloud. That means God and all of his glory comes down and rests on them. Now, this is a major, major problem because there is no tabernacle. There's no temple. There's no priests. 
There's no sacrifices there. They're completely exposed in their sinful humanity to the glory and majesty of God. And so what what would we expect to see? That they die. But they don't. They fall down. They're terrified. But the text goes on to say that they get up and they see only Jesus. Now what's the point? What's the point? Well, this is the writer's way, Matthew, of telling us in the strongest terms. Moses is gone. Elijah is gone. They only see Jesus. The point is that what's being said here is that Jesus himself is the bridge over that gap between God and us. Jesus is the temple to end all temples. He's the tabernacle to end all tabernacles, the priest to end all priests. He's the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. On the cross, when Jesus died, the veil was torn. It is finished. The point is, is that this morning, through Jesus Christ, we have a mediator. Through his perfect life, Through his death on a cross, he has once and for all bridged the gap between God and us. What that means this morning is that through faith in him, through trusting him, no matter where you're at this morning, the infinite and beautiful glory of God and presence of God can envelop you, can save you. Through him, we are not consumed. We can have access to God and knowing God. It means that through Jesus, we get what Elijah and Moses can't give us, what laws and regulations cannot provide us, who no one else can give. We can know God. We can worship God. So the transfiguration reveals that Jesus is the object of our worship, that he's the bridge to God. But thirdly, the transfiguration reveals one more thing, I think, this morning. It reveals that Jesus is the truth of life. Notice here when this voice, when God's voice speaks to Peter, James, and John, he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, and they fall to their faces. Now, to be the son of God means to be the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the divine one. The voice of God says, this is exactly who he is is. And the result is, is they're understandably overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed. Now, why is that? Well, it just got real. Maybe a million thoughts and a million conclusions were rushing into their heads about Jesus, who they had just spent years with. Maybe they thought about all of his teachings. Some things he said, maybe they they thought. Some of those things he said and taught were so hard Maybe there was an ounce in them that thought, maybe he's just an idealist. His teachings on God being first and and God's will before our will, living a life of forgiveness, of repentance, of holiness, love for the church, a life of commitment and sacrifice. These are good things, but, but maybe they thought the actual God of the universe, he's out there and he understands that we're not all super saints. We're not all nuns or, or missionaries. So these are ideals. These are ideals, maybe, they thought. But no, all of a sudden, as the identity of Jesus becomes clear, they realize everything he taught isn't just ideals. It's the very words of God. Not for the super saint, not for the nuns, but for everyone and anyone who wants to live a life that's in sync with the creator and designer of life. 
Or maybe they thought as they were overwhelmed, maybe they thought all the pushback, all the dislike that came with following him. Maybe there was an ounce in them that, that thought, okay, this is, this is one good guy's take on what it means to live for God. But, but maybe they thought, but some of, what, some of what he says, even if I believe it, some of what he says is really going to bug people if I say it's true. So maybe I'll just say it's true for me, and, and it works for me, but I don't need to say it's true for anybody else. That, that, that way everyone can be happy. We can all just say, uh, we're all God's children, I won't offend. But no, all of a sudden the identity of Jesus Christ becomes clear. And they realize this isn't just one good guy's take on what's true. What he says is God's very truth. They realize it's true for me, but not true for you. won't work. It's true or it's false. And in this broken world, let the chips fall where they fall, period. Whatever it might have been, the identity of Jesus becomes clear in that moment, and it's overwhelming. It's actually a burden. In Christianity, we call this the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship means that to follow Jesus, to know him as God, means that there is a weight of responsibility, a burden that comes upon us. And perhaps the thought of that responsibility of following Jesus for real crushed them. Some of us this morning, we are crushed by this thought. We're not sure we can follow Jesus, his words, his takes, his views on ultimate reality. What he says is true, not only applies here, but in the public square and everywhere. We know how much it would cost to hold those views. We know how much we'd have to change. Like Peter, James, and John, we would fall down in fear. But take heart this morning, verse 7. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. The very thing that would conquer all of their fears and the burden of following him stood right in front of them. Their great reward. And this morning, the very thing that can conquer all of our fears, all of our burdens, and choosing to do what is right this morning is nearby. The very person who can conquer all of our fears and all of our burdens in following him is before us this morning. Our great reward. There's no cost too great or loss too high when we have Jesus Christ, our great reward. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.